Derek Wetmore is down at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers for the next several weeks covering Twin Spring training. You can find a bunch of new stuff on the Touch 'Em All podcast feed. We we pump we recorded for like two hours the other day and uh, gave you guys a bunch of reckless speculation on the Twins. So Derek, what is? I know you have a piece on fifteen hundred ESPN dot com, a twenty five man roster projection. Your first of the off season. Obviously, there's a glaring omission. Whoever they sign to be a starting pitcher here uh, or or trade for. But what are some of the biggest battles or some of the biggest things you're looking at to round out that roster? Well, you can't publish a roster projection without saying, hey, I'll bet you all of my money that this is going to be wrong. I guess we already <laughs> know they're going to have to add another starting pitcher. So the four guys I picked, yeah, they might make the club. They might come north, but they're not going to be the starting rotation on their own. So that's the number one thing with a bullet to watch. Uh, some names in the bullpen that are interesting, and there are a few set positions, but then a lot of competition in the bullpen. Um, position player side of things, Phil, is fairly well set. They've got a lot of guys coming back from last year, mostly young players starting to establish themselves. Um, I'll be curious to see who the DH is. I'll be curious to see how often Max Kepler plays. But, I mean, those are minor minor details compared to, the number one question in spring training is, what is this starting rotation going to look like in March? Derek Meyer Metcalf here. Should the Twins have done more to go after you, Darvish? Myron, it's a good question. Phil and I have kind of gone back and forth about that. I think Phil's kind of convinced me that, yes, that's the kind of pitcher the Twins should have gone after. Look, I know it's going to cost a lot of money, and I know that on the back half of that, it's probably not going to look very good. Most teams build that into their projections, though. They say, okay, hey, we're going to sign this guy for big money, and we're going to hope to cash in on a World Series in the first year, two years, three years, so that if he's overpaid a veteran in years four, five, and six or whatever, well, it's not going to be the end of the world because you already have a World Series. From that perspective, I can see why the Twins wouldn't want to be super aggressive because, frankly, I don't think they're a World Series caliber team right now. I think they're sort of in that next tier of teams that are – right now hoping to compete for the postseason. Um, the other side of that coin, though, is that if you don't add a starting pitcher right now, I don't think this is a playoff team. I don't think this team makes the playoffs if they don't add a starting pitcher. It doesn't have to be the caliber of you, Darvish, but I would have expected them to be aggressive in those sweepstakes, and I expect them to continue to be aggressive, both in trade conversations and in free agency, to fill out the top of the rotation so they can once again sort of get themselves back into that postseason conversation. So I want to add this to to Myron's question there, because now that the contract details came out for you, Darvish, USA Today has the contract details. It's $126 million before incentives. I mean, if if he wins like a a back-to-back Cy Young Awards, he gets, there's incentives. But let's just take the six years, $126 million. It starts at $25 million, and then by the end when he's 37, it's $18 million. So it's front-loaded for when he's in his prime, and when he's most likely to perform at a high level. And then the Cubs are able to mitigate some of the risk at the end if he if he plays the whole contact, uh, contract through for six years by only paying him $18 million. And by then, revenues are going to be up a little bit, and so $18 million might not be what it is right now. And there's a player opt-out after two years. So mm-hmm. the, the way the Twins look at it, well, we don't want to give a player opt-out after two years because what's the benefit to the team? And I would say the benefit to the team is you get you Darvish for two years. <laughs> when you have a chance to win the World Series, maybe, if you put a better pitching staff together. So now that you see the front-loaded contract, and I have no problem with the opt-out after two, 
I do think the Twins could have stood to be more aggressive and maybe make it a five-year deal and, and pack the money into five years instead of six. And for all we know, they're not going to be super open about this. Maybe they did make a competitive offer. We know that it was five years and over 100. Maybe it was five years, 120, and some incentives, and he just wanted to play for the Cubs. Like That's also a possibility. Yeah, let me throw this one at you because you talk about teams that can afford to spend. I've got a column coming later today about some trade candidates that the Twins could go after or should go after in the starting rotation. Now, some of them are in the last year of their deal and going to be free agents next year. It's the low cost. Another one of them, it's interesting to this U Darvish, and it's it's way out there. So get the hot take police ready because this is this is just not happening. Zach Granke has <laughs> Zach Granke has four years and. 120-some million left in his contract. That's a big contract. He's going to be very well paid into his mid to late 30s. Now, I'm not saying that 34-year-old Zach Greinke is going to be the best pitcher in the world in four years, but you talk about the Cubs giving you Darvish a big contract over six years. They intentionally did six years, Phil, so that they could keep the average annual value down since they're up against the luxury tax, they need to worry about something like that. The Twins aren't even close to that luxury tax threshold. They could really afford to spend some money if they decide to. And for that reason, you wouldn't need to give up as much to get a big, fat, bloated contract for an aging pitcher who, for my money, is still one of the best pitchers in the world. Now, do I think it's going to happen? No, but the Twins have more freedom. Yeah, 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 I know. The Twins have more freedom to do something like that than the Chicago Cubs or the New York Yankees or the Los Angeles Dodgers. All those teams are up against that luxury tax. Do you want to pay $35 million to uh, Zach Greinke at age 37? Listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull you over. Uh, this is just a warning. I'm not going to put you in jail for this. But if, if, if you could get Zach Greinke for, for almost nothing, I'm fine paying him that money until he's 37. But if I have to give up like Nick Gordon, to, yeah, no. that might, that, I don't know. That's, oh, a, that's oh, a crazy no. contract. This centers around the idea that it would be a salary dump for Arizona, that they'd have to sweeten the pot. And maybe, you know, you give something going the other way, but I think everyone pretty much expects Granky will be overpaid in two years at whatever, $32 million or whatever. He's one of the highest paid pitchers in baseball, and he pitched really well last year. Not so well two years ago, so definitely some risk. And, man, I'm happy to get off with just a warning from the hot take police, but I'm, I'm definitely going to throw that in the column just to maybe that'll grab some eyeballs or something. I don't know. Derek, I'm a big Byron Buxton guy, and, and you know, I, I want to see him reach his potential. Like, What's a reasonable expectation? We know what he does defensively, but what's reasonable to expect from him uh, in terms of his hitting? Well, I'm kind of looking at this as the first year that Byron Buxton emerges on the national stage, and by that I mean Go ahead and make the AL All-Star team. And I think he's well within his rights to do that. I think he's capable of doing it, Myron. The defensive prowess has caught some eyes. People have started to talk about him nationally. Of course, playing in a playoff game in New York, you're going to have more people focusing on you. More people have heard the name Byron Buxton now. But I think he really came around offensively last year. He's hit more line drives. He's been more selective. He's still got some power. And, of course, the speed plays. So if he can continue to do what he did for a good stretch of last season, I don't think it's a stretch at all to call him an all-star caliber player. And we used to talk about him, oh, he's young, he's young, give him some time. I think this is the time that he can emerge into his own, and we don't have to talk about him being young anymore. He's getting into his mid-20s. 
he could very well be one of the stars of this game and certainly a star within the Twins. I think that they've got very high expectations for him, and and uh, I wouldn't blame them for having those. I think he's going to have a good year at the plate. It seemed like everybody had a suggestion within the organization about what he had to do to get out of yeah. those slumps. Did that help? And he's, is he kind of done tweaking at this point? Well, I think you could make the argument that it hurts. I think you, at a certain point you have too many people talking to you, too many different hitting philosophies, too many mechanical tweaks or do this, do that. Uh, Tory Hunter said at last spring training that for a guy as talented as Buxton, he sort of just needs to let his game play. Now, I know that's a cliche, so I'm not trying to say that's the explanation for why he broke out in a big way. But if you're at the plate and you're thinking about your mechanics and the guy up there has got 97 with late movement, that's going to be pretty tough. He's going to tie you up in knots, and we saw that for extended stretches for Bucks and really struggling with contact rate and striking out a lot. But when you go up there and you know, all right, I'm going to try to hit a line drive here. I'm going to try to get a pitch in this area, and my swing can handle that. And then you get, if you get to two strikes, well, fine. Now I'm just in defensive mode. But it, the best way I can put his change last year in a short summary is that he went into attack mode. He was really more the aggressor in the count. And you don't see a lot of hitters able to do that uh, in today's game. Um, I, I don't know if that's the sole reason for his breakout, but to get back to your question, I think the main reason he was able to do that, he started tuning people out. He, he started to have fun with the game again and realize, yeah, can just let my talent play at this level, and, and that's going to be good enough for him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm on the Buxton uh, bandwagon here to make you salivate even more. If you just take what he did from July 1st to the end of the season and then double it or extrapolate it out to a full, to a full season, here's what his numbers would be for 162 games if he, if he was as productive the second half of the year for a full year. A 900 OPS with a 310 batting average, oh, 30 home runs, 91 RBIs, 116 runs, and 40 stolen bases. Oh, my goodness. Yes, please. Yeah. And yeah. the yeah. best defensive center fielder <laughs> on in top of Be it. the best player in baseball. That that would be. And, and he, I mean, he has that potential, I think, at this age. we He's already one of the best defensive players in baseball. Right? Yes. If yeah. he can improve offensively, imagine what you might get. And by the way, he doesn't have to even do that offensively to be in, you know, the, to get an MVP vote. Like, yeah. he could bat. 265, 270, get on base, draw a few walks, steal 35 bases, hit 15 to 20 home runs, and play gold glove defense, and he's one of the most valuable players in baseball just with that offensive productivity, Derek. Yes, I am curious to see where they bat him this year because that type of player could hit anywhere. Of course, he could hit at the top with his speed. He can get on base. He can be a middle-of-the-order guy. I don't know exactly what the answer is or, or, or what the solution is, but um, if he puts up those kind of numbers, that's an MVP caliber player. When you when you combine it with his defense, with his speed, with his stolen bases, yeah, that's uh, that's the main reason why I think there's a, a ton of upside in there. With that being said, it deserves to be noted that last September, so n- not last September, the September before, he had a breakout month. He was awesome. He hit 320 and tons of power. I think he had like 11 home runs or something ridiculous. And we all thought, there he is. He's arrived. Well, 2016 wasn't as friendly to him, and that uh, we kind of know how that played out. The start of the year last year was not that friendly to him. So he's done it for stretches before. Now can he do it from the beginning of April all the way through October? That's kind of what remains to be seen for him. So uh, what you can find is all kinds of written stuff from Derek Wetmore at 1500ESPN.com. 
and a couple new episodes of the Touch 'Em All Twins podcast wherever you would subscribe to podcasts, and also you can find them at our website. Where uh, the the latest one is basically us for a half hour just speculating on what it would take to land Chris Archer if those conversations continue. Derek, we'll talk to you tomorrow, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, Derek Wetmore.